Welcome to another episode of Invisible Disco Productions podcast, Writer's Block Party. We are hoping to share the work of emerging artists and break down the all too optimisticized process of creating and developing art. I am Lauren Montez. And I am Thea Thronson. And today we have a wonderful guest named Zoe Bloomfield. Zoe, she, her, is an actress, director, and writer based in Brooklyn. She has appeared in the 2019 Cleveland Borderlight International Festival in When Farah Cries. Zoe trained at NYU Tisch School of the Arts in the Experimental Theater Wing. Her performing credits there include Twelfth Night, Gross Indecency, Sugar, I Dream of Hammurabi, The Drunken Days, and her self-written, self-directed play, Home for the Holidays. She has also served NYU as a wardrobe supervisor and as a stage manager, in addition to working as a production intern for the LA-based touring theater company, Shakespeare by the Sea. Zoe! What up? How's it going? Good. That that bio sure makes me sound obsessed with all things theater. (laughs) Yes, well, well, you are, so. Yeah, I am. That makes sense. (laughs) Crazy how that does that. Wild. Mm -hmm. Um, Awesome. So today you brought in a scene for us? Yes, and I'm just realizing now that I didn't tell you the name of it. Oh, no cool. you want to tell That was a great opportunity to tell us. <laughs> yeah, it, so this is from House of Clytemnestra, which is a play I've been working on for a year and a half, I'd say, uh, seriously working on planning it longer than that at this point. Um... Yeah, and this particular part takes, uh, this particular piece that we'd be reading takes place at the top of Act 2. Sweet. With that, we're reading it? Let's do it. Part 2. Years later. Nobody can agree how many. Electra is on stage alone, inside. A while ago, I started growing plants. You would have been proud of me for it. I was good at it, too. Flowers and herbs and other leafy stuff. What is it called when it's not an herb or a flower? A bush? Is it a bush? Or just a plant? Just a regular old plant with no special categorization? It doesn't matter. (laughs) They smelled wonderful and were the brightest shades of green. They almost looked like they had been painted to be that pretty. I guess I hoped it was metaphorical to bring life to a place filled with such death. I know it's not original, but Still, it's what I did. There's a reason why things become cliche, and it's usually because they work and feel good. Anyway, then I left, or rather was sent away, and I was terrified that they would dry out and die while I was gone. Uh, Somebody, and now I can't remember who, told me once that you can water plants by leaving them in water and they'll soak it up themselves through the roots. So I decided to try that. I mean, What did I have to lose? If it didn't work and they died, well, they would have died anyway, right? So I got a big tub and I filled it with uh, just enough water to cover the entire bottom up to about my second knuckle. Then I put the plants in the water, put the tub in a place where it would get the right amount of sun, and I left, hoping they would still be there when I got back, but planning for them not to be. The tub looked like a little jungle of rivers and trees. Oh, to be a little bug in my jungle. Crawling through the plants, snacking on leaves, swimming from branch to branch. I don't think bugs can swim, though, so would it really be just drowning as it desperately paddles to the next refuge of land? Does the bug know that it's drowning? Know that it could die? 
Or does it believe that it is swimming, that this is what swimming is, and this is how everyone else does it? Nobody told me you could do something else. I thought we all knew that you just take that risk every time you jump in the water, and sometimes you make it to the next leaf, and sometimes you don't. Sorry, um, when I returned home, almost all the plants made it except one, which I'm counting as a win, but when I took them out and put them in their regular spots, they seemed so fragile afterwards. <laughs> they were fine before, right? And then they adapted to being in the water, but they just struggled to return to normal. I mean, it's not as if they could just live in the tub forever. That wasn't the plan. That was never part of the plan. None of this was supposed to happen. Where was I? Yes, um, the soil was thoroughly soaked from the tub, so I was waiting to water them until it dried out a little more because they're so easy to overwater, right? But I still don't know if I made the right choice. It's like, just tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. Do you know, do you know what bothered me the most? That little plant that died in the water while I was gone. Which is crazy, because I kept telling myself, this won't work, all of the plants will be dead when you get back. This won't work, all of the plants will be dead when you get back. But of course, there was that part of me that was hoping it would work. And no matter how many times my practical self is proven correct, the next time I do something stupid, I can't stop the little hopeful part of me. This is a long-winded way of saying I'm having a hard time. I still miss you, and I think mom is doing worse. I can't explain what it is, but ever since... Electra! One scene later, outside, at her father's grave. Since you are with me in these prayers, be my advisor. When I pour these outpourings of sorrow, what should I say? What would be right? How can I pray to my father? Shall I say I bring these gifts with love from doting wife to beloved husband and mean my mother? I don't have the strength for that, nor know what else to say as I pour this out on my father's tomb. Should I recite the customary saying, repay those who send these offerings? No. Let him give them a gift to match the evil they have done. Or should I pour them out in the same way my father died? In silence and disgrace, let the earth drink it dry and then with an averted gaze toss the vase behind me and walk away like someone sent to throw out the trash. My friend, give me your counsel. We share a common hatred in this house. Don't hide what's in your hearts. You don't have anyone to fear here. Speak up if you know of a better course than mine. And there it is. That's it. Damn. Just some light. Some light. Yeah, you know, it's really easy going. You know. <laughs> I was like sitting here, like no camera on, just like, what? <laughs> like, wow. Wow. Thank you. It's very kind. Okay. So give us, give us a little bit of context about what the project is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or none. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that it's, um, so. House of Clytemnestra is a sort of, I mean, I call, I officially call House of Clytemnestra a retelling. Um, It's a retelling of the story of, the story of of Clytemnestra, which is in uh, classic Greek theater, the Oresteia, 
which starts with Agamemnon and then goes to the uh, water bearers ending in um, the Eumenides. This is a retelling of just those first two stories. So this is uh, Aeschylus's, uh, Aeschylus's version of Agamemnon and Aeschylus's version of the water bearers. So it's, it's, a, it's an adaptation of that. And basically the way I'm retelling it is I'm retelling it using classical text and using text that I've written. And essentially, uh, there are two types of scenes in the play. There are outside scenes and there are inside scenes. The outside scenes are classical Greek text. The inside scenes are scenes of text that I've written myself. And it's, so Very it's cool. a retelling of the story. And uh, I mean, I could go into like the differences between the inside and the outside and like why that is. Um, I could talk about a lot of things about this. Yeah, um, this is like your baby. Like this has way, been... Yeah, this has been something I've been working on. I got inspired to create this in my last semester of college. Right. And I've been out of college Sweet. for almost two years now. And I don't think I started seriously working on this project until I had already been out of school for uh, at least six months. Okay. So I, it was just something I was kind of thinking about and thinking about what it, what it is and what it means. But then I started really working on it that fall and then uh for some reason i had a lot more time on my hands in march and i started working on it again then cool very cool was the reason the pandemic i don't know what you're talking about no, <laughs> <laughs> no. um cool so this is aeschylus's version yes okay so the second monologue at the at her father's grave that is Aeschylus's text well it's so obviously the way that Greek translation goes is that there are many right. different translators and they have many different interpretations of the text I use a combination of um three translations that I like um and cool. I kind of picked and choosed sentences that I liked from that yes it is Aeschylus's from the water bearers slash the libation bearers um there right. it's, it's called by both names um okay. And then the first longer monologue is all you. Yes, the, that, that inside monologue where she is talking about the plants, that is, that is something that I've written. And then, yes, that second was, uh, it's, I've, bits and pieces I've taken from these three and put together in a way that I find good for the story I'm trying to tell and um, cohesive and makes the most sense to um, a modern-day audience. Sure. Um, especially because so many translations you'll get will be from like 1740 right. and you're like mm, why am i translating shakespeare again yeah yeah exactly <laughs> literally what's the point not to diminish but why <laughs> no for sure i mean i could talk about like so be, this this is a combination of things that kind of came together yeah. um is that uh a combination of things came together. I was in a class in my senior in my senior year in like the the winter term, the January term. It was in a Greek theater class, and that's when I read these stories. Uh, some of them I read them again, um, but this was actually my first time reading um, the story of the Oristia. This was my first time reading the Oristia. The Oristia. Mm -hmm. It's called the Oristia because it's the story of Orestes, Orestes. the son. Which, mm -hmm. so I have titled the show, obviously, House of Clytemnestra, 
You'll never guess what I'm focusing on. Um, <laughs> it also kind of reminded me of House of Bernarda Alba for the title, at least. Do you guys know that play? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I was in that play, baby. I, I thought yes, so. You I were. couldn't remember. Yes, <laughs> I mean, and I think that the idea behind calling it the House of Bernarda Alba is very similar to my reasoning for calling right. it yeah. the House of Clytemnestra. It is calling something the House of, it's the House of the Man. Yeah. Um, even automatically the, imbues respect and and power even though the woman's place is in the home right mm-hmm. um so those things are very contradictory and there is mm-hmm. the idea also that it's it's called the story of the oristia orestes isn't in the first one at all he's only <laughs> in the, he's only in the other two uh and agamemnon's barely in agamemnon he's yeah, right. he's not the main character right yeah this idea of absent center, very prevalent. In yes, theater. exactly. I mean, he's literally <laughs> off at war, and she's been holding down the fort, and it's, you know, it's still the home of Agamemnon. He's the master of the house. And um, so, of course, so, of course, gender is something that we talked about a lot in this class, and it's mm-hmm. something that um, is very prevalent in this play. Yeah. Also, the use of the... F- Furies, uh, the way especially I use them in the show and the way that I interpret them. Uh, sure. And I think that a way that, that they subconsciously probably were in the, in the Greek theater is they are a bit of... There's a lot of times that the Furies are used as... Um, not quite scapegoats, but like scapegoats for ch- trauma that people have. It's like the reason that they did a bad thing is because the Furies told them to. Right. The reason that, you know, the Furies are punishing them. It's it's like the gods are punishing you to feel bad after you've been to war. And it's like, well, that's just, that's just shell shock. That's just PTSD. That's just, you know, we rename it every hundred years. Um, right. Yep. Uh, and, and, and it's exactly the same thing. I kind of use it as a symbol for many things for mental health for gender performance and yeah so this has been in the works for a long time this project Mm -hmm. is it kind of taking like do you have a final form in mind i mean it's a full-length play and i do want to see it produced in a theater Hmm. um yeah, Do you I want mean, to talk about the inside-outside thing? Because I feel like that's a very specific, like, stage theater yeah, situation. Yeah, so... <laughs> outside I mean, the theater. I know. It's the, well, it's also interesting when you think about... This is to get a little theater-heavy. Is when you think about um, the story of... The play Agamemnon by Aeschylus. It is thought to be potentially the first use of set in theater history. At least Western theater history. Um, because there's a door in the middle of the stage. Oh. Uh, So I would also, there would be a door in the middle of the stage. And in the story, the only person who uses the door is Clytemnestra. Um, Mm. And then Agamemnon at one point uses the door. He goes in and of course he does not come out. Um, But the only other person in the show who ever uses the door is Clytemnestra. She uses that for her entrances and exits, as opposed to usually what they did, which, you know, coming in basically from the wings of entrances and exits. So it's, um, so it's believed to maybe be, we don't know, of course, 
uh, maybe be the first use of set in a in a play and i would also have that that kind of door you know yeah mm-hmm. the center and and that would be and that would help to you know solidify this this idea of inside and outside i i would have to work obviously with like a theater and a set designer to figure out how we would do this um totally how we would flip the stage in regards to this door to show this inside and this outside um but yeah in the end the inside scenes obviously they're more they're more modern they're more relaxed they're more truthful and then you've got these outside scenes which they're this classical text and every word that they're saying is it's it is a performance like the outside scenes those are the performance scenes and it's like what are we performing right now are we performing you know innocence are we performing our gender role are we performing mental stability um are we performing strength uh what are we performing when we go out um and then inside we're kind of our true true selves right that is a, a lovely way to just immediately bring public and private space to a, a clear head. Exactly. Um, in, in the literal text, that's, very, that's a very cool idea. Yeah. I was going to say, it's a very, like... It's one of those things that unless... That as an audience, you could know, and it would be a cool thing to watch for, and then even if you didn't know, it would be like a, wait... I noticed there's a difference. You know what I mean? Right, right. That's something I, like, firmly believe in all of my theater. I believe that, yes, if you came to this show knowing the story of Agamemnon and knowing the libation bearers, you might get some extra, like, you know, bits and pieces from it. But I do want somebody who doesn't know a thing to come in and still gain a lot and still not feel lost. Those are, mm-hmm. those are two very important things for me. I, I, I hate when I go see cool adaptations of classical pieces and it's like, okay, but like, let's pretend I didn't know what this was. Exactly. Would yeah. I walk away knowing what it is or would I be like, that was weird? I'm so lost. Yeah, right. exactly. And that's right. not fun. Yeah. That's not fun. And it's so inaccessible. Exactly. And that's and something I really, really hate about a lot of trendy, trendy theater. Yeah, especially dealing with with retellings and and specifically with classics because a lot of that language is kind of inaccessible. Mm -hmm. So it's our job. I agree with you. How is it to uh, write alongside this, like, sort of elevated text? I mean, there's definitely... I mean, there's definitely so much difficulty with it. Uh... It, it it's also hard for me to like take my liberties with it and with what mm. I'm trying to say with it because there's an inherent preciousness that I'm attempting to keep mm. but I am trying to tell the story and at the end of the day like that's what matters the most and right. it's easy for me to also because I do see the um the classical text and my text as such different beings um, but also, they have to be in the same world. Like, I yeah. acknowledge that. I'm like, they're very different beings, but they have, like, you know, it's like your eyebrows. It's like, you know, they're, <laughs> they're sisters, not twins. It's like, yeah, they need to at least be cousins. They, like, <laughs> we need to believe that they exist together. Right. So it is something I am conscious of. Like, we're not, I'm not using, like, slang, and I'm not using too much, like, modern 
I'm not using any modern references and I'm trying to even keep like the Greek references like you know low because I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to balance both of these things so that they exist in the same world and make sense to the audience right yeah and I imagine that's very um that's an interesting experience as someone who also is a director and an actor Mm. um because even as you were reading it like the way you were delivering them made them similar mm-hmm. um and i can you speak to that a little bit what it's what it's like yeah in it? um i mean i have seen a lot of bad classical plays <laughs> as i'm sure we all have who hasn't Just and if you haven't it's okay listeners <laughs> no, if no, you haven't, it's not. <laughs> yeah, go out and see some bad, go some, see some real bad theater. Um, and I've seen some, you know, it, the text makes the most sense. And like, I think this with classical text, when you just say it, when you just say it and try to like read it, understand what it means. And then your job is to like, you know, if I read the sentence and the sentence says something crazy but the point of the sentence is like, where is my dad? Then you, the only thing that you need to be trying to get across is how does the language show where is my where dad? Where is my dad? So right. that's the, what you need to be showing and saying. And, uh, uh, and it's interesting that you brought up like, you know, the similarities of the, the way the text is spoken. Cause I, that's something very intentional for me that this is like, you know, my little, <laughs> you know, my little moment I'm trying to have because I do want to direct this piece as well. Like, I've always thought of this piece very visually. Mm. I've always thought of this piece in that in that, in that that space, and it, it exists in a space with me. And I... And maybe just because I'm a bad playwright, which is <laughs> totally possible. But I'm, like, insisting. I'm insisting. I'm like, I have to direct this because I'm positive it's just not going to make sense unless I do. Well, okay. It's a, to go off of that, when you write things in general, do you often sort of, like, see it visually? Or is this sort of, like, with this piece in particular? Like, when you're writing, how do you see things coming? Um, I absolutely write with scenes in my head. I write with visuals in my head of how it's going to look. I write, like, you know, I, I'm thinking how it's going to be performed. Um... Yeah, I, I, I'm immediately considering that. So, I mean, everything that I've written, I've written to be, and I've written and I've directed it. I've never worked, I've never been blessed enough to have a director to work with. Um, right. So I, I guess I've never thought it any other way. I guess it's just, that's just how I do it. It'd be interesting. Maybe I, I, I'm just too close to this show to give it to somebody else. But in the future, like, I would love to try to work with somebody and collaborate on something else. That's not this. (laughs) This? No. This? Uh, Do not inquire. no. The next thing. The next thing. (laughs) Listeners, if you had interest, don't. Forget it. Squash it. Please send your inquiries into the garbage. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so, um, it makes sense to me. Because both you and I went through four years at HEW, essentially. Yeah. 
Not and even essentially. We did. We did completely. <laughs> completely. We did four years for of a moment. I was like academic semester. No year. And it turns out it was this was all an ad for NYU. Tish. It sure was. BTW. Check it out. Is... Send your inquiries into the trash. <laughs> uh, but a a big part of that training is uh, creating, thi- like making things that you can, like sustain mm-hmm. um by yourself mm-hmm. so writing and directing kind of becomes one thing because that is also I feel similarly to that yes I find it very interesting that you've gone for an adaptation here of such a like monster of a piece <laughs> <laughs> yeah um monster but it's really impressive for it. <laughs> it's 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 yeah let me see um, if I can pull it up and tell you how many words it is. Um, yes. Because it's wordy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She's wordy. Yeah, it's currently over 18,000 words is written in the document. So that's including, you know, all the pre-stuff and all the stage right. directions that's currently written. But it's about 18, it's over 18,000 words now. Just to give our listeners <laughs> an, idea. an idea of how many words that is. I think 500 words is about, like, a single-spaced essay. Is that right? That makes sense. How many words in... Harry Potter. That's what I just typed. Oh, my God! That's so weird. That's going to be so many more words than 18,000. 76,000. Okay, but that's not that that many more. Yeah. That's, like, a full book that's got, like feelings and stuff that are right not just dialogue. dialogue yeah i should have looked at a play okay give me a play <laughs> so there's twenty four thousand five hundred and forty five uh words in romeo and juliet there you okay. go so it's almost the length of romeo and juliet kids it's less kids. than the length of romeo and juliet by like over five thousand words so please come see it don't think it's lame and boring <laughs> Because it's, yeah. it's definitely not famously lame and boring. Lame and boring. <laughs> Bill Shakespeare's R and J. I mean, it's it's. I have the feeling it's gonna be long. I have the feeling yeah. you're, you're gonna have to I sit mean, through an intermission. I would hope so, though. <laughs> like that is the. I think you hit the nail on the head with the. When you're watching a classical play, if you don't know what's happening. Literally moment to moment, it becomes so painful. But also, classical it be- plays... It's not even painful. I mean, it becomes nothing. Right. It's just words. But, like, classical plays... A lot of plays now talk about things. Right. But Famously. classical plays have, like, literal battles and gods in them. Like, you don't really see plays like that anymore. Right. Now right. it's just like, whoa, you remember that time I was in a battle? That sucked. <laughs> like, right. now it's like, yeah. no, we're gonna do a battle. Like, you know we're what I mean? We're creating mythology here. So yeah. it's like, when you can get the story right, it is larger than life. It, it, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I think that there's a few really, I mean... All of the characters in the show are interesting in their own right. Um, but, like, Cassandra, she's, Cassandra. she's of course... Cassandra. Of course, yes, yeah, she gets her own scene, and it's just so much fun so because juicy. she is plagued by a god. So it's really interesting to, like, play with that because who's plagued by a god anymore, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> These days. It was crazy was when you were reading it. I was remembering... 
at Atlantic Acting Studio. This was all an ad for Atlantic. Um, <laughs> and one of our projects, a lot of people did like Greek mythology, and I was remembering like those retellings. I remember someone had a song that was Clyde, 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 Minestra. Um, that was our own little joke, but like it is why like there each character could be so many plays of their own. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. well, you know, obviously. <laughs> you know. Of, of people that know, you are one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it is fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you often, when you're inspired to write something, does it often take on a form like this, where it's sort of like an adaptation, or like a full-length play, or is this sort of a it's a two-part question one is this what do you normally write what's like the normal form and mm-hmm. be like when you're writing how do you know which form it it should take yeah so this is the longest piece that I've written it is like like I like I've said I think it's I think it's probably maybe not if we're lucky maybe it's just 90 minutes and we don't need an uh, intermission but it's probably a two-hour intermission show um a and... show with a two-hour intermission. <laughs> yes, yes. What is 90 minutes and intermission is two hours? <laughs> Actually, it's... So the first act's an hour, and then we serve you dinner at the two-hour intermission. And then... But not with the show. Separate no, of the like show. You go... It's a full different location. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You, like, you have to go like downstairs and like around the back. There's McDonald's next door. Yeah, the actors serve you. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's their that's their side gig. Um, yeah, they're all waiters at the restaurant. <laughs> and they really that's why we did. They really have to make the dinner shift. Um, yeah, <laughs> can't and, skip it. And uh, uh, as for the form, I I can't imagine right now writing something that isn't a play uh, because my brain is so focused on theater at all times and like what is theatrical and I I love theater deeply uh I know there's no money in it uh um <laughs> so I'll figure that I'll figure the the how to get into the other listeners parts. don't I yell do at us she knows there's no we money. know <laughs> mom please don't call me <laughs> I'm just kidding my mom is very supportive if you're listening to this mom I love you very much <laughs> and listeners you'll never know which one is true um that's right <laughs> that's her official statement on that yeah so you mentioned theater and obviously you are an actor um <laughs> that was the silliest way i could have said that um i loved it thank you um it seems obvious what inspired this play mm-hmm. but what um what inspires you in general when you're writing plays or or just doing artistic things in general i should say I mean, do you mean, like, what inspired, like, um... I like, mean, are there I, writers you come back to, or, like, yeah, there shows? Yeah, plenty of writers I, I enjoy, and, and <laughs> so shows like, I no, enjoy. Nah, it's just, none. it's just I, me, you guys. Yeah, I write in a vacuum. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I love, I mean, I know this is such a lame answer, and I don't like anything about uh, her as a person. I do like the style that Carol Churchill writes in, because I'm very fascinated. And I think something that 
I find as someone who was, uh, who socialized as a woman, uh, and still currently identifies as a woman, I think that there is something in the ability to talk over each other and understand what the other person is saying. Overlapping. I think that Carol Churchill, exactly, the overlapping that she does, I think that there is something in that, um, that she as a woman had the keen ability to create, uh, that I find very, very fascinating. Can I get on a soapbox for a second? I would love you to. Um, I wrote a whole paper about interrupting mm-hmm. and the difference in men inter- interrupting versus women interrupting. And women, in general... Read it now. No, this is my 15-page <laughs> paper. Uh, no, but women, in general, interrupt less. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when they interrupt, it is a supportive interruption that is often overlapping, like what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Or like what we've been doing this whole time, where you go, yeah, mm-hmm, for sure, that kind of thing. It's more to indicate, I am listening, I'm still actively engaged. Versus men interrupt more often with the intention to shut someone else down. Mm. So even though men and women, the actual difference of how often they interrupt is not that different. Mm-hmm. It's the intention with which they do yeah. that is drastically different. Because men see interrupting more as like a dominance thing. And mm-hmm. women see it more as a support thing. Yeah. That is... Uh... Something I've never thought about actively, but makes total sense. And that makes, and then I brought it back to like when our vice president so famously said, Mr. Pence, I'm I'm speaking. It was so shocking because it was a woman using an interruption that a man would use typically. Mm. Right. To reclaim. To reclaim and to dominate, which was like, whoa, you're allowed to do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I really, I do love, I do love that style, and I do love the ability to do that. I also, um, I do also get inspired by things that aren't necessarily theater, but I do find very theatrical, which I think is something that we've been obviously exploring as a community, um, for some reason, for some reason since last March, we have been exploring (laughs) alternative ways of finding theater besides the in the theater right and uh to varying degrees of, of success uh so i but i've always been interested in things that like aren't theater but feel very theatrical to me uh something that i do come back to a lot that i find very inspiring is actually a comic book run it is uh it is actually a run of Hawkeye, like from the Avengers. Hell yeah. By Matt Fraction, which any person who reads comic books knew I was going to say that as soon as I said <laughs> Hawkeye. Uh, it is a really interesting comic book run. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but in the comic books, uh, Clint Barton, Hawkeye, is deaf. Um, and did. he wears a hearing aid. And so there is a whole issue where he does not have his hearing aid. And uh, it is the story told through his eyes as a deaf person. So sometimes there, like, so there is there signing happening. There is him trying to figure out what people are saying based are on. Are there none of the like bangs? Well, there's no speech bangs? bubbles basically. That's crazy. And that's very interesting. There's also an issue that is told from the perspective of his dog, which is also very interesting because it's a dog who doesn't <sighs> understand language. Right. Um, and I find, I find, and overall, it's it's a very contained piece because it's about Hawkeye protecting one brownstone building of apartments in New York City, 
and that's what he's doing in this issue. So it's it's very contained. It feels very theatrical from start to finish, um, and it's overall it's just wonderful. Uh, so that's something that I find very inspiring. I also love. Uh, I'm a, I am obsessed with all things vintage, and I do love old movies as well. I really do enjoy the work of Billy Wilder. I and it's. It is things like that that make me think that it's okay that I want to write and direct my own pieces since that's what he did so often. Um, yeah, I think those are some of, some of the many things. I, I am often inspired by also music videos uh, because music videos also the ability to tell the story and like that, to tell a whole story in three minutes without coming out and saying the story, very interesting to me. So there are lots of things that I f do find theatrical um, that aren't necessarily theater. Uh, but there's a lot of theater that I also love, so, <laughs> uh, you know. Don't worry. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. That too. That's good stuff. Um, have you seen WandaVision? I could go on and on and on. So of course, of course. Okay, of I just course, course. I don't want to talk about it too much because I have such strong feelings about it that I don't want <laughs> my feelings to be corrupted um but generally what were your thoughts um so I have a lot of thoughts because I also have read the comic books I that see. they're that they're based off of and the story that they're based off of um no this isn't necessarily a spoiler but it's um rather than the so uh, Wanda does very, something very... It's called House of M. It's very famous in comic books. She does something very similar where instead of... Uh, instead of it being that her husband has died, Vision, it is that her children are, are dead or have never uh. existed or never existed in the first place. It's a whole thing. And... Uh, and that's, that's kind of what happened. That's what... You know, so that's you know, she creates a whole world where she has these children that she protects and and then at the end it's like, well, they don't exist. And then she says three infamous words, which is no more mutants, and then she actually causes uh, a mass uh X Men genocide and uh causes yeah, oh yeah. And also causes so that a bunch of X Men lose their powers, some die, and also some people and then there are like no children born mutants for a long time because of like what she what she does because she like after she has this mental breakdown because she creates this imaginary world and then they tell her you can't create this imaginary world so she's like well then fuck you <laughs> uh, <laughs> same yeah that's fun but I, I i i saw Low the WandaVision Key show is a greek hero yeah and i mean as someone who also loved i mean she is a really cool she's very interesting because she's often the underdog she's super interesting in comic books, and I hope that they keep her as interesting in the TV show. Um, and the TV show was was really interesting. I really loved the episodes with the the different sitcoms because yeah. I could clearly tell as soon as, because I like I said I love all things vintage. As soon as it opened, I'm like, oh, this is the Dick Van Dyke show. Oh, this is Bewitched. Oh, this is the Brady Bunch. Oh, yeah. this is yeah, yeah. That was good. I loved it. I loved mm -hmm. her in it. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> anyway. 
this is our WandaVision appreciation podcast. Um, Might as well be. I have a lot of thoughts and opinions, though, guys. It's not all appreciation. It's not all appreciation. <laughs> there will be a spinoff podcast specifically dedicated specifically to Specifically dedicated to me going, but I liked it. And Zoe actually <laughs> having reasons. Here is an to. actual fact. Um, I guess there's no segue for this. <laughs> so get hyped. There's um, no way. When you have writer's block, Great. what do you do? I don't write. <laughs> yes. I said. I I I don't work, and that's fine. Like when I like, I mean, I am privileged enough that I am not expected to. I I am not a like known as a playwright by like you know the theater community. So I don't have this pressure and expectation to constantly be creating the next thing. Uh, which, like, hypothetical, like, which modern playwrights obviously have. Like, Lynn Nottage is sitting at home being like, what's the next thing? Uh, <laughs> Lynn Nottage is like, nah, it's cool. Yeah, Lynn she's Nottage, actually... Lynn Nottage, we love you. We know you Lynn Nottage, we love you. <laughs> yeah, Can't she's... wait to interview you. I know, I do, I do follow her on, on Twitter, and she, and she, you know, posts, like, what she did that day, and it's, and she's like, you know, going to, you know, do some writing today, gonna take care of the kids, and, like, she tells, like, her intentions for the day, basically. It's nice. Um, that is lovely. It is. Uh, when I have writer's block, I don't, I don't write. I don't feel, I'm not gonna push myself. I don't feel that pressure, and if I really have writer's block, I'm not gonna be creating anything good, and there is merit to the idea of it doesn't matter if it's good or if it's bad, put something on the page, and then rework it like there is absolutely merit to that but if it's if it's too much to even do that I just take a break I've been I am currently editing the last two scenes of Clytemnestra and then once I'm done with that the play will I think be generally ready for its next step uh whatever that is I'm not sure yet um but I I took I took a long break because I was editing it in January, and then I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing with this second-to-last scene. I I have lost the plot. I really... This is not good. And, and so I just <laughs> didn't work on it. I didn't write it. I thought about it. I was thinking about it, because I think about it all the time. But I wasn't writing stuff down, and I wasn't pressuring myself to do that. Which is hard. It's hard to tell yourself, this is fine, that you're not doing anything. Uh, yes, but <laughs> I was consuming, I was consuming yeah. art, I am watching TV, I am watching movies, I am listening to music that I find interesting, I, uh, I really, uh, you know, I, I'm big into folklore and evermore. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> yes, match made in heaven. If you want to talk about something that is theatrical... Her storytelling songs. You guys, are when theatrical. is there going to be an anthology series of Taylor Swift's music? When she inevitably decides to make her mu- her music into a musical, which Taylor, if you're listening, I know you are Taylor. listening. Taylor, Taylor, please don't stop. Put the pen down. <laughs> um, but you know she's Taylor. she's got great storytelling to use. Uh, I know. Yeah, I know. And and I. And I and I talk it out like with my girlfriend a lot. Like Willa is my number one like sounding board. I just talk to her about things and I ask her if that makes sense or just even saying it out loud. I'm like, 
just, I talk forever and then I finally get to the point. And when I get to the point, I'm like, that's, that's what it is. That's what it needs to be. Okay. Now that I know that that's what it actually is and that's what it actually needs to be, I can go back and I can do something. Um, yeah, I think those are some of the things that I use and I, I just don't, I don't put pressure on myself and I don't make it too precious because if I do that, then nothing's going to happen. Yeah. 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 Uh, what do you do for writer's block? <laughs> oh my God. Listen to episodes one and 10. I don't fucking know. I, I am, know. I'm an avid listener of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I said the same. I said, I don't write. That's yeah. what I said. Yeah, yeah. Most people say that. Uh, Which like, go off. Go off. Don't it's, write. um, it's, it's, yeah. But like I also said, think you have to. It's a specific to... position. There's, I will say, you have to mindfully be not writing. Yeah, you, you can't have just be to, doing like, it because you don't want to. It's got to be, like, a genuine, like, I, like, a genuine block. You need, not even, like, a genuine block. It's, like, you need to make the decision. You need to tell yourself, yeah. okay, I'm not going to write. I'm not sure. going to open up the document. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. Because yeah. if you, if you know, if you open up the notebook and you open up the document all the time and you're staring at it all the time, well, then you're not really taking a break, are you? And you're not really taking that time to get out of your own head. Right. And to figure out why exactly it's refusing to be written at this moment. Exactly. Because that's what the container of not writing is useful for, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Go for a walk. You're probably sad. Yeah. Also, just if you've been in your apartment for... 12 months for who knows that's, why that might have something to do with it yes if for um, unavoidable unexplainable you, reasons <laughs> yeah like hypothetically if for any reason that <laughs> doesn't make sense you've been then that lot. could be that could be a that could be that a, could be a contributing factor to the blockage factor. um just to that point this is a tangent but when i went back to iowa this last time uh I don't know if it was the change of scenery or, like, the 19-hour car ride or what the deal was, but as soon as I got back to my house there, I sat down and wrote for, like, two weeks. Wild. Just, like, writing, 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 and I was like, I have not been this inspired to write a single thing since March for some reason. And now, I don't know, I don't know if it was the relocation, like, I genuinely don't know what it was, but I was like, this is the most productive I've been. Ever. In a year. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when I came back, I also went home for a very long time. And when I came home, Willa and I sat down and we edited Act Two. Uh, and and we hadn't, I hadn't touched it. And, you know, I, just, I came back in early January. I hadn't touched it in at least, like, a month. Right. And that last time I touched it, we were editing Act One when we were by ourselves for a night. Uh, and also that, mm. so that also could have been it is that I was just surrounded by people all the time and I just never felt like I had the space to do anything. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah. yeah, as, as at the stage that we're at as writers, and I think a large portion of our listeners, it's like we, our lives are, are also dedicated to other things at the moment. Like that just is a fact of, <laughs> of reality. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's like you said, it's. There's always going to be other things, yeah. but um, to be able to have the discipline to say, we're stepping away from this yeah. for right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. It takes, it takes a lot. 
And I will it say, is. there were other things that I, I also did for a while. I mean, before all of the translations were done, if I was writing a scene that took place inside that I was writing myself, and then I felt like it just sucked ass, I, uh, I would go and I would work on the translations. Because I'm like, yeah. this, is, this is the creation of the show, and it, and it makes me think about the show and about the story I'm telling. But it's not my responsibility to make yeah. the words. It's to my responsibility right. to choose the words I like and to put them in the story. That's um, actually lovely. Yeah. And I had not even thought of that. I also have a, like a, like a side project that I sometimes open. I am, yeah. It's not really anything yet, but it's a fun thing. Whereas, like, Clyde Nestra is heavy. And not she's, so fun. She's, I mean, fun, juicy, but... Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, takes, it takes a lot of mind power to think about it, so it's nice to have, like, a fun thing that just totally. makes me think, this is so silly, and this could be so silly, and I don't even have anything really written for it, but I just think about it, and I think about, like, scenes and ideas for it, and yeah. visuals are coming to my mind. I'm like, this is just lighthearted and fun, and, like, if I ever did this, this would be so much fun to do. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, and then, then I can take that, and I can take that energy and go back to Clytemnestra and be like, okay, now I'm ready to have fun with this again. With this, yeah. exactly. For sure. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is any sort of change of pace can be useful. I mean, yeah. Shake it up. The just answer up is definitely not just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is not do what you're still doing and hope something changes. The answer is change something. The definition <laughs> yes. of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. That is exactly the quote I was thinking of, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to say it, but then you just said it so Yeah, easily. and I was like, I say this once a day, so. <laughs> I wrote go. this quote. Actually. I actually, it was a me quote. You're welcome. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well. Good stuff. Yeah, Thank and if you, you so really much. think it sucks, uh, sorry, if you really no. think something sucks, show it to somebody and like have them be like yeah it sucks and i think this is why uh i'm not exactly. saying show it to them so they can be like oh no it's not as bad no 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 you need somebody who's willing to tell you yes. yeah dude this sucks ass major ass and here's why yeah. and this is what you need to change to fix it yes or even exactly. ask a question being like what the fuck are you trying to say to me right now i'm sorry i'm swearing so much no I have to put a little explicit at the end of this uh episode Oh, they're all explicit. Don't even worry. <laughs> I thought you said sweating. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm sweating so much in my I own like, apartment. I have no idea why you're apologizing for that. We're over How dare you sweat? <laughs> I don't want to see it. Um. <laughs> but yeah, definitely get someone in your life who will be like... Get someone in your life. Period. Get someone in your life at all. Um, yeah. And then, after you have someone in your life, get another person in your life who is willing to be like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. This is this is not great. <laughs> Here's yeah. why, though. Like, let's talk about it. Or, in the most recent episode we recorded with Issa Gomez, we were talking about how if you have to defend your work to someone, it automatically makes it better because you're you kind of the points that are important to you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, yes. And if you I, can't defend it, then there's your answer. <laughs> That's yeah. also good life skills. If you're in an argument with someone and they are genuinely defending themselves with different things, you're like, oh, they care about this. If their argument is like, but still, or like, right. it's not fair. It's like, oh, you know you're wrong. You okay, just so don't you like don't have it. any points to make. Yeah, I use that with yeah. eight-year-old I babysit every day. Maybe it's just because I'm too bitchy. I'm like, I'm not going to defend this to you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> 
I won't. <laughs> if you can't, if you can't get on board, then I'll find somebody else who will. Um, <laughs> try. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Thanks. do you have anything Thanks. else you wanted to to say or? I mean, there's literally so much I could say. I could talk about like the I could talk about the inner machinations of this play for easily like three hours, and I could talk about my thoughts on theater for at least five. But we just at don't least. have the time for that, you know. Unfortunately, we don't. Not have you'll the time have to that. bring me back. But I will say yes that and when we put up the House of Clytemnestra, we should bring in a documentarian. This is my new thing. I'm very excited about like filming the mm. behind the scenes of every single thing I work on. For That's good. Now. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I love consuming those. <laughs> I know. And a project like this is so like the things that go into it that you don't see on stage. Yeah. Are so beautiful and brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And then we could talk for eight hours. Absolutely. Because it's a documentary. And that's all they do. They just talk. talk. Yeah, it's the Peter Jackson cut of the documentary. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway. Anyway, thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah, Thank Thank you you so so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I do love talking theater. I have a lot of strong opinions. We love love strong opinions. We really do. Yeah. Alrighty, y'all. Thank you so much. There's Black Party with Zoe. Adios! Bye! Writer's Block Party was created by Invisible Disco Productions. It's produced by Amelia Annan, Denise Blatt, Lauren Montez, Thea Thronson, Colleen Annan, Jess Thronson, and Jim King. And is edited by Noah Friend. If you enjoyed this, check us out at IDP Presents WBP on Twitter and at Invisible Disco Productions on Instagram and Patreon. Thanks and have a great week. Bye.